Hello, you're listening to Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. My guest today is ex-property finance lawyer Nikki Richmond. In more than three decades of legal practice, Nikki rose to become managing partner of specialist real estate legal firm Breacher. In 2021, she stepped down to pursue other interests and is currently training to become a professional coach and mentor. During her time at Breacher, Nikki was instrumental in shaping the current business and in mentoring many of the next generation of lawyers that came through under her tenure. She's also well known in the industry for speaking on a range of subjects, as well as for her restaurant critiques. Nikki, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast today, looking so relaxed. Being a retired lawyer, I presume, is is something that is suiting you. Well, it is. I can't say I've been sitting still in the two years, and that was always going to be the case, because I think when you've had a very big and demanding job, it's really difficult to then just go into the no zone of, oh, my God, what do I do with my day? And actually what happened for me was that I had an opportunity to act as a CEO for a breast cancer charity, which I did for nine months. I hadn't quite understood what I was taking on, and it ended up being a bigger job than me being managing partner of a law firm, which wasn't quite what I'd anticipated. So after nine months, I stepped down, and then I did a few other bits and pieces, including selling bread in a bakery, uh, selling fruit and veg in an organic farm shop, and washing dishes in a cookery school. I actually just wanted to get as far away as possible from my previous life to make a real break before I could actually go back to somewhere in the middle, which is what I've done now. So I've actually only had five months of not doing anything at all other than things like learning Italian and doing my veg garden and the usual retirement things. But I'm not somebody who's going to be happy with just doing those. And I really don't want the experience that I had to go to complete waste. It seems like a shame not to be able to use that experience to help people, which is what I want to do. now. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your exit from law in just a moment. But let's look first at at why it was you entered the law in the first place. What prompted you to go down that path? I could give you a really clever answer, but I'm going to give you the honest one. I couldn't think of anything else to do. I had no careers advice. My boyfriend was becoming an accountant and I was completely unable to do any sort of maths or anything numerate whatsoever, still am. And I did a history degree and thought, well, what can I do now? And I went to the careers office at my university, didn't actually have a careers advisor, I've never had careers advice. And I saw a leaflet for the legal profession and I thought that would work. Nice, safe career bit more studying, that's okay. And it will give me a good grounding for something in the future. I actually had a plan after 10 years to open a restaurant. So to work in the law for 10 years, open a restaurant and, you know, live happily ever after didn't quite work out. So I did the LPC, the conversion course, then I did the solicitor's finals, and I did my training. And I found that I actually quite liked it unexpectedly it was a bit scary I mean I was utterly rubbish for the first two years I have to say I wouldn't have employed myself if I was employing me but I got had an aptitude for it and I liked it It made me feel good it made me feel good about myself it was something I could do it felt challenging 
interesting. I like the people that I met in it. And lo and behold, I blinked and I've been doing it for 36 years. And you wrote recently that you're never wildly in love with the law. And I think you've sort of alluded to it there, but but that you were very grateful to it. Tell me a little bit about um, what that gratitude means. Where does that derive? I'll talk about the not being passionate about it. I think that there are people who pursue their passions, you know, concert pianists, actors, whatever, people who really, really make their passion their life. So, you know, they're not really working. They're just pursuing their passion. I don't think many lawyers have that experience, frankly. I think the gratitude comes from the fact that the job gave me self-confidence. It gave me really useful tools in my everyday life. It made me feel like I was helping people. It was challenging intellectually. It was also quite a lot of fun, certainly when I was younger. And I was grateful to it for giving me the opportunity to find out who I was and what I was capable of. And I, I didn't particularly feel held back by being a woman, actually, in my job. I know that a lot of people in my generation wouldn't have the same story. But I started in a firm that was actually very female friendly, unusually for the time. And that was a real help for me because I had female role models that I could look up to and see that it was possible to have a very good and healthy professional career and also have a life outside the office. I mean, that's a whole other podcast because I think that's very difficult. And I actually do not believe that you can have it all. And I think there are always compromises uh, in that. But I've been grateful for what it gave me, which was the opportunity to develop myself and to find out what I was capable of. You decided to specialise in real estate finance and, and entered the property sector. Tell me a little bit about what appealed to you about real estate as a sector. Well, I hadn't actually planned to do it. When I did my training, I actually thought at the end of it that I was going to do corporate finance. If I'm really honest, I had no idea what corporate finance was actually at that time. But I managed to wangle myself an interview at Simmons and Simmons and they offered me a job. And I went back to my firm and said, look, I've got this job. I'm, I'm going to go just to let you know. And they said, why? Why are you doing that job? And I had a couple of partners, female partners, sit me down and just say, do you understand what that means doing that job, doing a heavyweight corporate job? Do you understand what that involves in the future and how that might actually be difficult to combine with a family life or with the other things that you want to do? And I sat and had a good, you know, hard look at myself and thought, OK, why am I doing this? I'm actually doing it for vanity reasons as much as anything else. And I'd really enjoyed my last six months in property, uh, which I hadn't expected to. I'd actually chosen to do tax, but it was a disaster. So I actually asked to do property and I chose to do tax in a sort of self-punishing, let, let's just do the hardest thing I can sort of way. And I failed. And um, I just thought, well, you know something, I think they've got a point. I can actually see how property is an interesting industry. The firm that I was in did the most spectacular deals at that time. So they were doing stuff that was real headline stuff, you know, Paddington Basin, Broadgate development, you know, really the, some of the biggest deals that were going on in the UK. And I just thought, yeah, actually, I'd like a piece of that. And because it was my final six months, I started to know what I was doing. 
So my issue had been that my first six months, because you go around four seats or traditionally you did. My first seat was property and I was utterly woeful in it. I had no idea what was going on. And because of that, I hadn't really considered it. So it was only really accidentally doing a property seat in my last six months that made me think, actually, this is for me. And the property financing started two years after I qualified because there was a sort of quite eccentric old boy who was doing it. And he was not to everybody's taste, but I liked him. But he absolutely loved his clients and he made them completely feel that they were every need was taken care of. It was very interesting to watch him in action. And I asked to help him when he was away and he gave me some transactions and I just thought I really like property finance it was very tick boxy which I quite like because you know you knew that you were getting things right you had a checklist and you could go through that checklist and it and it was done and the reason I also liked it was because I found that the people working in property finance were quite easy to deal with compared to some of the developers that I'd worked for because they'd been quite screamy shouty and that wasn't really something that I enjoyed and I think that's because you know obviously with entrepreneurs it's their own money you get different sorts of characters and you know it's a matter of life and death for them whereas the bankers the property finance guys it's not their money it's not that they're not ambitious but it's a different mindset and it was much more civilized and it suited my personality better and I just felt that it fitted with my personality. And for me, I think there's so much work to be done around understanding your personality type and seeing where that fits in the business that you're in. Because so many people don't understand their basic personality type and put themselves forward for jobs for which they're not suited or try and try at things and keep failing like me with tax because it's just not their thing. And actually, if they were to do a rigorous self-analysis at the beginning, something like Strengths Profile or Myers-Briggs, I think it would actually be very helpful for them because it might make them think, well, actually, that really isn't my strong point. So why am I doing that bit? You know, I'm, a, I'm an 18 out of 20 introvert, so I'm never going to be great at public speaking. I'm never going to be great at marketing in crowds. But I found a way to market that I could do notwithstanding being an introvert. And I think that that's something that in my new life, I'm really going to be working on and encouraging people to do is to just be honest with themselves about what their personality is and what they're good at and what they're not good at. So you found then your specialism in, in real estate finance and, and once you'd settled into that and you began working in the industry, what kept you there for all that time? Oh, that's an interesting question. I was building it up. There was a challenge. I enjoyed the actual work. I liked my clients. I liked the teams that I work with. I had a goal. You know, I, I, when I started, I was a junior assistant. So, you know, I wanted to make senior associate and then I wanted to make a partner. Then I wanted to make equity partner. So I had a career path and property finance was great for me. It was it was great because you could get to know the industry. It was a small industry. So it was always stimulating. It was always changing. I worked out and got my what I call my base clients. So I got the 
what I call my, my banker clients, I'm going to use a better term. So the, the ones that gave me an income every year so that I didn't have to worry about each year about, oh, my, am I going to bill enough or is there going to be enough you know uh, to do? I had clients who gave me work year in, year out, which is what's so good about banks. There's a regular flow of work and they pay you. It wasn't glamorous. The work that property finance work at the mid market is not glamorous. It's not ego driven. And even though I had some of the biggest clients in the in the firm uh, for quite a long time, I wasn't really well known because they weren't the glamour clients. They weren't the big boys. So some of the other partners might have, you know, a massive one massive deal a year. But I'd be earning three times that amount with my little sort of unglamorous, lovely mid market finance boys who just kept on doing it and the borrowers paid. So you never had a problem with bad debts. You never had a problem with, you know, dealing with difficult people, you know, like the entrepreneurs who would ring you up and tell you they didn't want to pay because whatever. So I think what kept me there was the fact that it it allowed me to grow. It allowed me to build a team. It allowed me to develop. It allowed me to develop other lawyers, you know, because property finance people, they work in teams. So they're happy for you to work in teams as well. They're happy to have your juniors or your side partner or whatever. And that's the way they work. So it worked very well for me. And I was very happy in that industry for a long time. You mentioned the career trajectory. You became a partner, an equity partner, and then eventually you assumed a role as managing partner. Just looking back over that career and the steps that you took, what do you think were the key things that enabled you to progress and to advance your career? Well, quite a lot of different things, really. I mean, I worked out the need to have your own clients early on. So I overperformed quite from, from quite early on. I didn't rely on other people to give me work. I went out and got my own work. That was number one. Number two, I worked out the benefit of marketing. I, need, I understood that I needed to get out there and keep replenishing. So I did that. Uh, one of the life-changing things for me was actually my going to MIPIM, which I hadn't even thought about because I just thought that wasn't for somebody like me. But in fact, I thrived at MIPIM and my network grew exponentially and it led to all sorts of other things. And I mean, it led to my, you know, my favourite MIPIM story was, which is too long for here, was the five o'clock meeting of a borrower who made the bank that he was acting for change and instruct me from their panel lawyer. And that borrower asked about seven or eight other banks to do the same. So out of one random meeting at five o'clock in the morning, which I had not planned, there was probably about two million pounds worth of fees that came out of that. Uh, I thought that would happen every year, but it never happened again. (laughs) But but I thought MIPIM was was a fantastic launching pad and certainly for younger professionals to actually grow their network. It was brilliant for me for about five years. And then it became about client retention and client protection from competitors. And it wasn't so great. But at the beginning, when you haven't got your network settled, something like that is superb. And then I think in terms of career progression, I think I always understood the importance of building a team and delegating. And a lot of professionals won't do that. They've got, you know, like their arm goes around their work and goes me, 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 because the structure of law firms doesn't really encourage 
sharing, or even if it says it does, lawyers are frightened to share because they don't know when their next instruction is going to come from and they feel vulnerable if they don't bill a particular year, you know, they might be downgraded, paid less or even let go. So there's a tension in a law firm between the need to grow a team and to share and delegate your work and the need to actually keep your figures where they should be. But I was never worried about that. I, I always understood that the more I gave down, the more I could get back in. And that was the only way I could build a team. And I did. I had assistance from the time I was newly qualified because I knew it was important and I enjoyed it. I always I like working in the team. I never worked on transactions on my own, whereas other partners love the sort of solo glory. I really never did. I always wanted a wingman or a wingwoman. To, to be by my side, always wanted to have somebody else involved. And it was the best way of training somebody to have them shadow you on a transaction. So there was never a transaction that I did without a junior attached to it in some form or another, because that was the only way they would learn. Yeah, so building a team. The food thing was <laughs> another thing that, that really made things go to another level. Uh, my husband told me not to do it, so obviously I did it. And... Um, said, oh, no, 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 people won't take you seriously as a lawyer. I said, I don't entirely want people to take me that seriously as a lawyer, so that's fine. Uh, as a lawyer, yes, but not as a human being. And it just turned into the most amazing marketing thing because everybody knew that that's what I did. It was so, it just, it just beyond my imagination, it was so useful. And even now I get people contacting me saying, where do I go to eat? Where's the best restaurant for this? I've got a special occasion, la la la, you know. So it was it was great because it was sociable. I could combine what I needed to do, which was marketing, with, with, with what I love to do, which was eating out. And there's not many opportunities in law to be able to do that. So my advice on there is actually the importance of having a side hustle or having something else that you're known for. And it makes you stand out with your clients against your competitors. People know you as the lawyer who does whatever or the professional who does whatever. I think if we look at people that we know in the profession, often the most successful ones have something else that they're known for or something else that they're interested in, which they bring to the fore. And I think it also helps balance your working life. And it's good for you to have another commitment that, you know, and, and, and I totally get it when you've got a family and those commitments, it's really hard to do. And I didn't have a family which enabled me to do more of that than other people would. But I would say if you can do it, if you can find something that you really love and is almost a hobby, but actually sits well with your work, try and do it. In 2021, following the onset of the pandemic, you decided to step down from your role at Breacher following what you describe as an acknowledgement of burnout. Tell me a little bit about that period and how you arrived at that decision. Um, I think it was something that you've been preparing for over a period of years anyway. I had. I had been thinking about stepping down in some form for some time. Uh, I was very conscious of the fact that I was going to be 60 in a couple of years, which was sort of deeply shocking to me because it, I was 55 minutes ago. And I also was conscious and have always thought that the law is, as I said elsewhere, no country for old men or women. I saw in my career lots of lawyers hanging on after their time, 
being bed blockers, basically, stopping people coming forward in the firm. And it wasn't that I was doing that, but I was very conscious that I didn't want to do that. And I was very conscious that I didn't want to cling on after my time. I think really by the time I'd got to the last couple of years of my career, I was very tired. I'd been working for 36 years without a break. The managing partner role was a stressful one. The thing is, it's, you know, to one who isn't a managing partner, it sounds lovely and glamorous and like you've got control. What it really means is that you're the repository for all the complaints inside and outside the firm. And your job is actually mostly an admin job and a troubleshooter. And you end up having to deal with quite a lot of negativity. And I found that it really got to me. And the negative mindset that lawyers have anyway, you know, what's wrong with this picture? That feeds and fed into all areas of my life. And I started just to feel unhappy and trapped in it. I didn't feel that I could be authentically leading people if I felt like that. So I'd started to pull away and think that I would do two or three days a week, hand over my clients, do a very lovely, elegant exit. And then the pandemic hit and I just sort of went over the edge with it. I wasn't happy at all. I couldn't cope with it well. I'd already felt anxious before the pandemic, just, you know, over the years of perfectionism and everything else. And I just thought I had no choice in the end. And it seemed to me that it was in some ways an easier time to do it than any other time because there was so much panic and stress and drama going on in the world that my little mini drama didn't really have any impact and that was great for me because I didn't want to do anything that would damage my firm or damage any relationship with clients and it helped that I had already handed over my main client relationships a year earlier in anticipation of the stepping down and I just thought actually the time is now And if I'm really honest with myself, I don't think that I could have really done two or three days a week because, as anyone who knows me will tell you, I'm pretty all or nothing. So I think that I would have found that unsatisfactory. And so for me, having that clean break just felt like the right thing for me to do at that time. And that's what I did. You've moved away from the law now and you're currently training to become a mentor and professional coach. Was that always something that you planned or or has the experience around the pandemic um, and your own experience of of burnout, has, has that helped to shape that projected career path? Actually, no, I, I thought I've thought about coaching for about six or seven years now. And I started to think about it when I was head of training at Breacher, because I was doing a lot of coaching and mentoring without being trained formally to do it. So actually, I had already explored getting some training and coaching to help me in that role. And I thought that it would also be a really good way to transition out of the law and into something else. So I'd played around with it. I'd spoken to a few people, but I wasn't actually ready and I recognised that I wasn't ready to do it when I actually finished because I had I, I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I actually needed to repair myself, to rest and to get myself back to where I felt able to take something on and resilient. 
which is fortunately where I am now. So as soon as I felt able to take something on wholeheartedly, I went back and looked at it again. I also had coaching myself twice and that experience had been really powerful for me. And I wanted to be able to do that for other people. So, yeah, so it's partly partly the pandemic did it, but mostly it was something that I was already thinking of for quite some time. But the pandemic and the and the particular experience of difficulty and also leaving the law and the transition from law to something else. Again, that that made me even more keen to do the coaching job so that I could help people make that transition when they needed to rather than clinging on for too long, which is probably what I did. You spoke at the outset of the podcast about the lack of careers advice that was available to you when you were just starting out has that improved in in the time that you've been in practice do you think that there are places for people to go that there are options that are visible to people now coming out of school oh I think the landscape is unrecognizable from where I trained there are so many resources you know Instagram TikTok the internet, places like Estates Gazette, the advice is there. You just have to find, you have to find it, but it's not hard to find. You know, there are people vlogging about what it's like to be a trainee lawyer. There are organisations to help you. In fact, there's there's probably too much advice, and it's probably quite confusing. But I don't think that you could now go into a a law firm without really knowing what you're getting into, or if you do, you haven't done the homework that is so easy for you to do now. So, yes, I think it's absolutely changed. And I think there are resources online, in person. If you look for them, it's not hard to find. And there's a different culture. There's a culture where people want to help people, that want people want people to make the right decisions. The interview process is, is much more rigorous than it used to be. And I think that people are much more used to thinking about what, what they really want. It's a different generation and being more selective about what they want. Although I still used to see CVs that just I knew were not authentic. I knew had just been crafted from looking at the website, basically saying, oh, I love I'd love to work for your firm because it does this, this and this. And I'm really interested in this. And I just think, you know, that's just all sorts of bollocks. That is there's no way that that is what you think. And I'd rather you just be honest and say, I don't know that much about property, but I'm interested. This is what I like doing. You know, so I think people could be overprepared as well now. But anyway, that's another again, that's another another episode. (laughs) All right. Just one last question for you, Nikki. I often wrap up this podcast by just asking a guest for anyone listening today who's perhaps thinking of developing a career either in the law or, or in real estate. And they're just starting out and building up. What advice would you have for them? My advice would be to know yourself first and to be honest about what you really want in life and not do something just because it's in front of you or because your parents think you should do it or because it's the easy choice. Do the work, get the advice, do the strengths profile online, do the Myers-Briggs, Just do as much as you can to really understand where your strengths lie and think about the future that you want. So when you think about a career in corporate law, 
understand what that's going to mean for your life. Understand what that means in 10 years time. Speak to people who know what that looks like, who've been through it. And be honest with yourself about whether that's what you really want. So honesty, honesty, honesty. That's what I would recommend always. All right. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you. And um, I really look forward to seeing how your mentoring career develops um, from here. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of opportunities for us to speak again going forward. And um, yeah, wish you the very best of luck with it all. Thanks, Sarah. That was Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on developing a career in real estate, see the archive of the Bricks and Mortar series at podbean.com and the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.